0: Five, four, three, two, one,
1: action.
0: Action. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston. I'm joined once again by my wonderful co host, Lewis. Today, we are here to do three films on film, three films about the wonderful art of cinema itself in different ways. We're going to be looking at Damien Chazelle's new film. Babylon, which is featuring the, is looking at the end of the silent era at the start of the talkies. It's kind of an epic, very long, and kind of looks at the role of someone who is already famous in the uh, silent era, trying to make it in the sound era, uh, an aspiring young uh, actress, and someone involved in the movie uh, production industry. All as the the decade changes. Secondly, we're going to be looking at Sam Mendes's new film. Empire of Light, which stars Olivia Coleman, Toby Jones, Colin Firth, and a breakout performance by Michael Ward, uh, which looks at the cinema itself and a, a middle aged woman dealing with her own mental problems, uh, a young black boy dealing with racism in England in the 80s, and talking about the wonder of the cinema itself. And lastly, but not leastly, we are talking about The Fablemans, which is the new film from Steven Spielberg, legendary, some may say, director, Steven Spielberg, which looks, uh, it's a semi autobiographical tale based on his life in film, uh, featuring a a Sammy Fableman and him going through his life um, as a child, as a teenager, uh, as a young adult. Uh, finding his love for film much akin to how Steven Spielberg did uh, and focuses a lot on the family dynamic uh, with the parents played by Michelle Williams who has been nominated for an Oscar um, and Paul Dano. So as I just kind of threw in there, uh, nominated for an Oscar, um, we're not going to be talking about the Oscar nominations today. The Oscar nominations have happened we've seen a lot of the films, we haven't seen a lot of the films uh, equally. So we've decided that instead of trying to fit this in with alongside three films, or fit this in next week alongside uh, three other films that we're gonna be doing, we've decided to to hold it off for a couple of weeks, see some of the nominees um, as they come out, especially, you know, in Britain, everything releasing so much later than ever else and um, we're gonna try and see some of the films and then do an awards episode in a few weeks time so you know we will be mentioning awards here and there we're not gonna pretend that they haven't happened especially relating to the three films we're talking about today so how are you doing today lewis
1: i am doing excellently today sam today has been a wonderful day for me for really? one reason and one reason only
0: why is that reason
1: lewis got beyonce tickets Lewis is going to see Beyonce tickets. I got Beyonce tickets. I did see,
0: I saw the, the mighty, the magnificent news, the headline I always wanted to see, which is Beyonce's coming to Sunderland. I know.
1: (laughs) She's, she's going to Sunderland, but not, she's not coming to Manchester. Really? How devastating.
0: I agree. Good thinking.
1: (laughs) But yeah, I got, I got a ticket. Only one. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go on my own, I guess. Because I'm not missing it. You bought I could one, only ticket, get one Why would
0: you not just buy two tickets and just try and find someone to give? Because
1: tickets? they were expensive.
0: The other, you're not the person paying for the second one, are you?
1: Well, no, but I don't know who's gonna go yet.
0: Or, or you could just sell it.
1: And I was—it was a very stressful moment. I could only find one ticket.
0: It's an investment that has to pay off. There's no. There's literally no risk.
1: Well, either way, I get to see Beyonce live. So where? Cardiff.
0: Yeah, but I saw Taylor Swift live.
1: You did see Taylor Swift. I'm not that bothered about seeing Taylor Swift live, to be honest. I'm not like the Swifties annoy me too much to see Taylor Swift live.
0: Yeah, but I also went to. So I went to see the night seventy five, and they brought Taylor Swift out.
1: Yeah, that would be a great environment to see Taylor Swift live. I was going to say
0: because there was no Swift. Well, obviously there is a Swifties. There's a massive. The Venn diagram is, is almost. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it wasn't exclusively Swifties, and these people weren't here for
1: Taylor. Yeah, exactly. That would be a great environment to see Taylor Swift in. Or like if I saw Taylor Swift at a festival, but I'm not bothered about getting tickets to go and see Taylor Swift. But Beyonce, I'm not a big concert guy. I'm not a big concert guy. I don't like crowds very much. I'm not a huge concert guy. But I've always said there are two people that I want to see live before I die. Adele and Beyonce. And I've seen now I've seen Beyonce. Well, I'm going to see Beyonce You say that. You've
0: been to one gig with me and you really liked it.
1: I did, I did, I really enjoyed it, yeah. So you're a bullshit. So yeah, yeah. But anyway, this is not a music podcast, this is a film podcast. So how <laughs> have you been, Sam?
0: Uh, yeah, good, yeah, watching lots of films and listening to no music. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I've been good, yeah. I finally finished my dissertation. Yay. Woo, university is finished. But Woo-hoo. I can't say this means that we're going to be releasing podcasts all the time. Because I say this all, every episode and it doesn't happen. It it would definitely indicate that it's a move in the right direction for us releasing yeah. episodes. But I've decided that I'm no longer going to say that same thing every episode. But I am going to say something that I say every episode, which is thank you again to the listeners. Yes. for Absolutely smashing our previous uh, record of, of listens. Uh, on the last episode, Avatar 2 and uh, Glass Onion and Aftersun um, absolutely d- demolished the previous record for listens. So thank you to all of the uh, Avatar superfans, all of the Paul Mescal superfans, all of the um, Ben Benoit Blank and uh, Hugh Grant shippers, perhaps, that, um, <laughs> that absolutely pounded that last episode. Yeah, um, it did. It was weird. So, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Um, I appreciate it. Lewis might not, but
1: I appreciate it. I also appreciate it. Don't listen to Sam.
0: Okay, let's actually talk about some fucking films. And let's start off let's by talking about it. what we've watched. This is the segment we do every week where we discuss all of the episodes, uh, all of the bloody bloody bastard, eh? <laughs> all of the films <laughs> that we ha- we are not reviewing we've seen since the last episode. So I am going to start off because I haven't seen that much, but I've seen a lot for me in recent episodes months it's been a lot of one film per episode so i've got like six to talk about today i'm going to start off by talking about uh duck soup now the preface of the story is that um i accidentally went to work 12 hours early the other day (laughs) because i thought that they wanted me to pick up a shift at 9 p.m at 9 a.m sorry and actually me to pick up a shift at 9 p.m so um so i ended up (laughs) going to work 12, 12 hours early comedy worked there for like two hours they were like we don't really need you so i was like all right then so i had to do something between the times of of whenever that was and 9 p.m when i actually was working so i decided <laughs> to go watch duck soup in the cinema perhaps something i would not usually go out of my way to watch but i decided to go out of my way to watch it uh, then and it is the the marx brothers comedy from the 30s only 33 to be specific now, I didn't know much about the Marx Brothers. I know, obviously, a decent amount about Chaplin. I've talked about that Chaplin a few times on the podcast. Um, I know, even though I haven't seen anything Harold Lloyd, I haven't seen anything Buster Keaton, I know of it. I watched quite a lot of Lauren Hardy I was growing up. But the Marx Brothers were always kind of a gap in my knowledge, and I always kind of saw them as kind of cheesy American, like, slapstick era, like, kind of Three Stooges-esque. Like, it's just going to be... Constant slapstick and like and not a bit too much for me and kind of lacking the charisma perhaps that, that Lauren Hardy is actually kind of a bunch of idiots. What I did not expect, I, I, this is just me being an idiot because anyone that will know this is that it's is just constant one liners. You know, I didn't I didn't really know the figure of Groucho Marx. I kind of only knew the comedy that comes from like Harpo or whatever. Uh, but Groucho, it's just it's hilarious. It's just one after another after another. And I absolutely love it. You know, that, that typical. Um, kind of uh, American, um, I can't remember the name of it, you know, chat show kind of comedy, but just kind of one insult, you know, my you know, uh, my stepmother this, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was excellent. It holds up really well. Um, it's really tight. It's like 70 minutes. Um, so you never have time to get bored. The slaps that it does come, you know, from Harpo and Chico, it's like, it, it's a breath of fresh air because it, it's something different. If it was all that, it'd be, it'd be, you know, unwatchable for me, but it really mixes it all well. Um, and yeah, uh, a bit of love for the forgotten fourth Marks Brother Zeppo as well, who's in this. Um, that same day, I watched A Man Called Otto. So you've also seen A Man Called Otto. So I'm going to leave that for last, okay? Um, I rewatched The Naked Gun 2.5. Great film. Great film. All three Naked Gun films. Absolutely. Fab. Slap, man. What yes. excellent pictures. Um, do is, there, is every joke makeable in 2023? No. But it wasn't <laughs> trying to be. So, you know, respect it, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish the bad she's a bit of sharing, but I am not going to review it because we're doing it next week. I did watch a film I'd love to talk about. I really would love to talk about. Because we're looking... Uh, we have talked about Elvis. We're going to talk about Elvis a lot in the awards conversation. Um, I, I I very much like Elvis is an, is an example of one of the few times that a music biopic does it well. The problem with a lot of music biopics is um, biopics. I, I always say biopic. It sounds way better. Sorry, biopic. Um, one of the problems with a lot of them is it tries to do. They just try to do too much. You know, look at uh, Respect, which I enjoyed, um, or uh, maybe the United States was Billy Holiday came out recently. His Bohemian Rhapsody. They all try and do that thing um, where they're just they're just flying along a mile a minute, trying to include every single important life event or every single event that you know made that person either as a as a human or as a singer. Constantly trying to like just get every little nudge of every overdose they had, every relationship they had, every you know just every kind of tiny detail. And it ends up having leading to, to massive pacing issues, and you know a feeling that you can't really like live with the scenes. You can't really like really get into the emotional depth of it. All. Um, and, and this kind of applies to a lot of biopics in general. You know what I watched in the music biopic wise, Elvis does it excellently. You know, and and picking you know going through the whole of his life, it's amazing. And I kind of thought of that as the creme de la creme of music bi- uh, biopics for me that might have been changed now by my viewing of bill poland's 2014 film love and mercy now i've heard this recommended an awful lot of times um by, especially by music youtubers rather than film youtubers uh and it is if you're not unaware it's a film about brian wilson of the beach boys um and it manages to to kind of say that problem with um trying to do too much you know, uh, going through the whole of someone's life, every single musical detail, you know, it's, it's impossible to do. And it, it, luckily it does that. But also alongside that, you can't do the Spencer thing of going into two or three days in someone's life because especially when you talk about someone that's deleting or a band, there is a lot of things you want to include. So I think Love and Mercy does it wonderfully. And the way it does that, if anyone's unaware, the film came a long time ago, I'm sure a lot of people know it already, but if you're unaware, it, it's set in the, you know, the modern day of the film is the 80s with John Cusack playing um, Brian Wilson, and then the film is told in kind of how he's dealing with with himself in later life and and the kind of um, problems with um psychosis and stuff that he had um and a lot of mental illnesses and the relationship that blooms late in his life. But then throughout that, he also manages to kind of tick those boxes that you talk about, you know, fitting all those life points in um, by doing it through flashbacks to a young himself with with Paul Dano. And this is not, of course, this is not a revolutionary concept. Loads of films have done the same thing, but the way it does it, the the fact that it chooses to just look, even within the flashbacks, within about a five-year period, and it's just looking at very specific, you know, in that instance, is, is very much kind of, focus in on the music, whether the Gakusa character is more his life. I just think it does really well managing those two different times in that guy's life. It's a really interesting story. If you're into music, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Beach Boys fan. I I think watching this has given me a great appreciation for their work as well. Uh, I'm going extra time to talk about this, but it's on BBC iPlayer right now. Really, really appreciate I Really, really yeah, encourage you to watch it. The scene where you see him composing songs like uh, God in Those and Good Vibrations are just wonderful, wonderful pieces of musical cinema. Um, really, really strongly recommend that. Again, especially talking about Elvis stuff coming up to the to award season, talk about music films, check out Love and Mercy. It's wonderful. Next up, we've got a film that's actually relevant to right now. That is The Menu, which he talked about when it came out. I just watched it on Disney Plus the other day. Andy Taylor Joy, Ray Fines, Nicholas Hull, Hong Chao looks at, uh, obviously you explained it, but when you reviewed it, but looks at this group of very rich, um, kind of bourgeois, uh, socialites that go to this private island to be waited on, to be cooked for by these, uh, you know, top top of the top of the top with the Gordon Ramsay, Hester Blumenthal types with these p- specifically designed meals and portion sizes and everything is, is very specific. And every, you know, every meal has a meaning and it's all has, you know, undercurrents of this, and it's all very pretentious. And then it very much, very quickly turns out that the chefs have an ulterior motive to, to the meal, um, and, 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 uh, chaos ensues. Um, really interesting film uh, It is a little bit too blunt with his message at times, but I really, really enjoyed it. It was uh, fascinating. The food stuff, uh, just the food stuff itself without any of the extra stuff. I could have watched that for hours. I mean, it's just so fascinating uh, watching, you know, it's almost more fascinating uh, the food itself and how it's made or the way that the, these kind of people was act so kind of pathetic and sycophantic around yeah. it, especially Nicholas Holt's character. Um, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it it cringed when it was supposed to be cringy. Um, it was It was quite funny at times. It, it, you know, the message, I, I agree with the message, even if it is a bit hand fisted at times. Um, yeah, so it looks beautiful. Food cinematography, beautiful. Wonderfully acted. Big fan of that. Big fan of that. Give that an 8 out of 10, I think. Maybe a little higher. And the last thing I'm going to talk about today is, oh, actually, before Man Called I Am, is Bodies, 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 which was a film that came out last year. I believe it's the directorial debut, I think, of Helena Rain. Um, I'm not sure. Oh, it's her second film with Helena Rain. Uh, and stars uh, Maria Bakalova, Pete Davidson, Amanda Stenberg, Rachel Sennett, um, Lee Pace, and a couple of other people. And it looks at this group of teenagers and one kind of weird older guy, or you know, 20 something actually, and one weird older guy. Uh, who come together during a hurricane in a in a big mansion, and they start playing a a kind of fun uh, murder mystery game, and then people start dying, and you know who you, the question is who is the killer? Um, one of the best scripts I have seen this year. One of the best scripts. I Ooh. absolutely adored *Bodies Bodies Bodies*. I thought it was such good fun. It went, um, you know, the it went so quickly. No, you know, it was just a very fun ride. The, the chief word is fun, very fun ride, hilarious. And one of the things I thought that was the intent in moments too, uh, one of the things I think uh, really made the script stand out is whenever you're watching media relating to our age, our generation. Now, of course, you're uh, about 40
1: compared to me. How old are you? I'm two
0: 20, years 28 old. 28 or something? You? 29. I'm 24. Or something?
1: Mm, yeah. I'm anyway, two years older than you.
0: Around our generation, <laughs> most media that's written about it comes from old people and it's always kind of almost there, but it's just slightly cheesily wrong. I mean, especially yeah. like if you guys so watch like EastEnders and there's like te- teenagers in it, I mean, that's awful. But basically, we're not at the age where content is really being made by us that's being seen on big screens. It's normally made by older people about us. And I thought the body's body's body was actually a really good representation of like ha- the way we actually are. And not in, it's a little bit kind of over cliched, but remind you, these are mainly like American white girls who, who are really over the top and, and cringy. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a quite, that's one of the things that made it stand out for me is that it felt kind of realistic that I know people that are just like this. Um, and yeah, yeah, good. I wouldn't really call it a horror. It was kind of marketed as a horror. It's got horror concepts to it. But it's more, you know, it, it's it's more of a, a kind of mystery comedy. Um, yeah, really, really good. Really enjoyed it. Um, and a man called Otto Lewis. Let's, let's both talk about a man called Otto. <laughs> A man called Otto film starring Tom Hanks, um, based on a German film of the same name, which is based on a book. Um, it's about an old grumpy man who wants to kill himself. A man is. a <laughs> this, this old curmudgeon Otto <laughs> Anderson played by Tom Hanks um is is his wife is dead and he's he's been sacked and he's a bit miserable so he decides to try and kill himself. But luckily he's got some, some happy go-lucky, fun, wacky neighbours
1: <laughs> who convince him
0: not to kill himself. Um <laughs> fun for the family <laughs>
1: I was so shocked by A Man Called Osso. Based on the trailer, it, it it seems like a kid's film about this man who's just grumpy and he gets his heart warmed by his new lovely neighbours. And then there are multiple graphic suicide attempts and I was taken aback. I did not expect this.
0: The, uh, the film has the tagline of fall in love with the grumpiest man in America. And also features a scene in which he puts a shotgun in his own mouth.
1: Yeah. It's like he's not quite... He's not grumpy. He's suicidal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's also grumpy. He is also grumpy, that's those
0: true. Are, those aren't mutually
1: exclusive. Yeah, that is true. But yeah. What did you think <laughs> of the film, though? I thought it was all right. I Once I kind of settled into the concept... Because I when it first came up, the BBFC rating card... And it said fifteen, I was like, What? I thought this was yeah. a PG. And it said suicidal thing theme. And I was like, What? What? Yeah. And there's like a scene where his pregnant wife is in a bus crash and their baby dies. And I'm like, what is going on in Whoa! this film? Spoiler. Yeah, spoilers. Spoilers. For the upcoming prequel series about Van Called Otto. Yeah. Um but yeah. But once I settled into that, I thought it was quite alright. It didn't like blow me away, but it was decent. It was good. Solid film.
0: Uh I want to add something. I, I I agree. It was it was it was solid. It was it was you know it was quite heartwarming at times, even though it was kind of depressing, it had a lot of like heartwarming moments and stuff. I, yeah. I generally liked it, I thought it was pretty good. I will say, um Truman Hanks, who played um who's Tom Hanks' son oh, yeah. played a young Tom Hanks. I thought he was god awful.
1: Yeah, he's not the actor in the family.
0: No, I, yeah, it's kind of hard to be like once you're related <laughs> to Chet. It's
1: kind of done. Well, with. Colin Hanks, he's a good actor. He's a great actor, Colin Hanks.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's definitely the third best in the family. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but um, you know, when when Tom Hanks is your dad, exactly.
0: When Chet Hanks is your brother, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what um, what have you watched? And you've the answer is you've watched loads. So what have you watched that's worth talking about?
1: I, will, I won't talk about everything. Um, the first thing I watched is worth talking about because that was Till. Um, the film that is nominated... No, it's not. It's not nominated no. for an Oscar, and we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, in the future. Um, yeah. Uh, the film that was going to be nominated for an Oscar but wasn't, with was Daniel Deadweiler about the story of Emmett Till that everybody knows... Um, and I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was fantastic. Um, Danielle Deadweiler absolutely floored me in this film. Unbelievable. Next level performance. Genuinely, she should be sweeping up the awards, not just the nominations. It's insane. One thing that I really loved about this film was the direction as well, because it, it doesn't pretend that the audience doesn't know what's going to happen the film knows that we all know that this does not end well. And the first sort of 20 minutes of the story or so are scenes of just a mother and a son going about their lives and they're happy scenes. But the score and the direction, it lingers a little bit. The odd shot lingers a little bit too long. The score, it knows that something bad's about to happen and it doesn't pretend that we don't know either. I quite like that. It gives you this sense of impending doom that is about to happen and i like that it took that approach rather than kind of you know it didn't treat what happened like a plot twist or like a big event in the film it was the thing that everyone knew was coming and i think it was a really interesting approach to take and it worked really really well it really really shocked me how good it was danielle Deadweiler is the standout from the film she is absolutely fantastic um moving on the, the last time we did this i said that my goal for 2023 was to watch more films at home and so far that has gone well i have watched to catch a thief a hit another hitchcock film i watched four hitchcock films last time that's another one uh, and that was great uh then i watched rashomon i watched that in the cinema akira kurosawa's film and that was as great as expected it's you know as good as everyone says it is it's yeah unbelievable Um, Then I watched Roman Holiday, and I'm annoyed that I watched Roman Holiday at home because it's playing in the cinema in the next couple of weeks. I wish I'd have waited. Um, Another goal that I set myself in 2023 was to watch all of the Best Picture winners at the Oscars. Oh, yeah, of course. And I began with the 1950 Best Picture winner, All About Eve, which I had never seen before. It was a first-time watch. And it was absolutely amazing. It was absolutely incredible. And it was quite a, quite a funny story about my experience with it. When I was watching it, I, I know that Betty Davis didn't win the Oscar for this film. She was very annoyed that she didn't win the Oscar for this film because if she did, she'd become the first person to win three. Um, and she didn't. And um, I was watching it and I was thinking, how on earth did Betty Davis not win the Oscar for this film? Um, and then I realised that her co-star in the film, the co-lead, Anne Baxter was also nominated and I was like oh so they split the vote so who did win and then someone else won but the person who was nominated alongside them was Gloria Swanson for Sunset Boulevard and I watched Sunset Boulevard earlier on this year last year and I remember thinking how did Gloria Swanson not win for this performance so the fact that Betty Davis in All About Eve one of the best performances I've ever seen Gloria Swanson in Sunset Boulevard, another one of the best performances I've ever seen, and neither of them won. I am yet to watch the winning performance. I can't remember what it is, but I will be shocked if it deserved to win. Shocked. Because All About Eve was fantastic. Amazing. Imagine if it is that good though. I mean, I can't imagine it being, but if it is, I will be shocked. I will watch it soon and I will report back. Um, Then I watched... Tar, which we'll talk about next week. Then I watched Empire of Light, rewatched Empire of Light. Then I watched Mrs. Doubtfire. Then I watched Babylon, which we're about to talk about. Then in my best picture thing, I watched The Sting from 1973, that won Best Picture in 1973. It's very 70s. It's like a crime drama about um, gangsters in the 30s. Um, It wasn't particularly for my taste, but I can appreciate it. it was... A very well done film. Screenplay, screenplay in particular was fantastic. Uh, then I watched Gladiator, another Best Picture winner from 2000. And I have to admit, I wasn't a fan of Gladiator and potentially very hot take coming in here. Ridley Scott is a very talented director and he is impeccable at directing big set pieces. But when it comes to directing dialogue scenes where not much is happening on screen it's just people sat or stood talking he's not very good he the the the, talk, the scenes in gladiator where it's just the characters talking are so dull and so uninspiring they seem to exist only to get us to the next action scene it feels like ridley scott cannot be bothered to direct the dialogue scenes, so he just turns the camera on points it at the actors And says, "Read your lines. I don't want to bother with this. I just want to bother with the action scenes." I wasn't a fan of of Gladiator at all. I mean, I disagree. Fair enough. Well, I I don't disagree
0: about Gladiator. I disagree about the fact that you can't do dialogue. I mean, like, no, I think there's plenty of films where he does have no problem with it. I mean, like, there's no big action scenes in Blade Runner.
1: Well, that is true. But I think in the most of the Ridley Scott films that I've seen, the standout moments are the set pieces. Um, the bits in between generally are quite forgettable and Gladiator is like the peak of that because the dialogue scenes are just awful. Um, Next up, I watched Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, another Best Picture winner. And I I was amazed at how well this aged. Uh, It's it's from 2014, so it's not that long ago, but still it's aged very well. It's about... um, Have you seen Birdman?
0: No, 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 no.
1: Great film. Shot as as a one take as well um excellent film always loved it uh, i hadn't seen it since it first came out but i was amazed at how well it's aged because it's about this star who was a superhero actor in the 80s and 90s as was michael keaton and now he wants to revive his career as a serious actor by th- by putting on a play on the on broadway in new york um and it's kind of a critique of the modern movie industry kind of just churning out stars and churning out films, superhero films. There's one scene where he's talking, he needs an actor and he's talking to his agent and he's like, get me Robert Downey Jr. And he's like, Oh no, he's doing those stupid tin man movies. What about Jerry, Jeremy Renner? And then he says, Oh no, Jeremy Renner's doing Avengers. And he's like, Oh my God, I can't believe they put him in. They can't believe they put the guy from Hurt Locker in a cape as well. Um, and it's amazing how well it aged. Uh, then I watched The Fablemans. Then I watched Patan, right? Which I, this is a, an experience I had. I, bu- I heard about this film a little bit. A few of my friends had watched it. So I was like, okay, I'll go and see it. So I booked my ticket. I turned up to the cinema. It was heaving with people. There was crowd control security there. Heaving with people. Really? So busy. Yeah, it was absolutely packed. Turns out the screen was sold out. It was sold out. And I was like, what the fuck? And it turns out that this film is the return of SRK, who is the biggest movie star in India. So it's like his big return to the big screen. So people flocked to see it just to see this guy's return. And it, it was actually really, really good. Like, It was so much fun. It was so over the top, so melodramatic. I loved it. And also, a few Bollywood films that I've seen, and I know it's a thing that all Bollywood films do, there are very elaborate musical sequences in the middle of, like, action thrillers. And I just wish that more films would do that, because this film is part of a spy franchise Uh, so it's a franchise action film and there's a big musical number in the middle of it and there's a big musical number at the end of it it's it's amazing all films should do that um then i watched kung fu panda kung fu panda was great uh and then i watched megan i was nervous about watching megan because it's billed as a bit of a horror but it's a you know it's only rated a 15 so i was like maybe i'll be able to do it so i did i went to see it and um i was very disappointed with it it was it felt like it wasn't violent or tense enough to make a good horror and it wasn't entertaining or funny enough to just make a film with to make a good film without the horror elements so it just felt a bit empty to be honest um and then i watched Plane, the new jared butler film weird film he's playing a scottish man in this film His accent is still all over the place, even though he is speaking in his native accent. Very weird. And then I watched something that I have not seen in a long time. I watched this when it first came out, and I was confused by it because I didn't know what it was. And you have described it as one of your favorite pieces of media ever. And when you said that, I said, oh, I need to rewatch it. And I finally did. Do you know what what I'm referring to? Yes. I finally rewatched so What Did Jack Do? And it is great. It's so weird. And so that kind good. of that sent me into a David Lynch spiral. Uh although I say spiral, it did only consist of one other film. But <laughs> <laughs> this was only like two days ago, so it's I'm in the middle of the spiral still. So then I watched Blue Velvet, David Lynch's famous film from the eighties. Um and it was so good. Oh, it was amazing. I am obsessed with it. David Lynch is so surreal and crazy. It's such a great film.
0: What a groundbreaking piece of film journalism
1: for me. (laughs) David Lynch is weird. Um, But no, Blue Velvet, it's genuinely amazing. Watch it as soon as you can if you haven't, because it's absolutely amazing. Uh, Then I watched All Quiet on the Western Front, which we're going to talk about another week. And then yesterday, I watched Whiplash, rewatched it for the first time, which I know is another one of your favourite films. Um, yeah. And I, I, surprisingly, I didn't love it as much as I remember loving it. I really? still love it and I still think it was great. But I remember f- finishing it and being like, that's five stars easily. And this time I was like, eh, I'm feeling more like four and a half, which isn't a big distinction, but still, I didn't love it as much as I remember. Yeah. Um, but I still thought it was great. Don't don't interpret this as me saying it's not good or it's not as good. It's still amazing. Um I just didn't love it quite as much. And then I watched Mulan in the cinema as well, the nineteen ninety eight one, not the uh twenty twenty one. I completely forgot that the twenty twenty one existed until I saw yeah. this one listed on the cinema app. And that's everything that I've seen this month. Fair
0: enough. Nice. Okay, cool. Um so do you want to take it away with the um with the the news then?
1: Yeah, sure. We have quite a bit of news to get through, so I will speed through the bits that I can. Um some more well, it feels like every week we've had some Avatar 2 news, but Avatar 2 has now officially passed 2.1 billion, which means James Cameron is now the only director to have three films gross over 2 billion at the worldwide box office, which makes me happy because the Russo brothers no longer share that record. <laughs> um it's now the fourth highest grossing film of all time and james cameron has confirmed that avatar 2 was so successful at the box office that he will be making all five avatar sequels um so there's some good news speaking of ridley scott's gladiator paul mescal has been cast in the upcoming sequel after sun star it's it's
0: really not a film you'd imagine that a sequel will be made for is not it it's really quite bizarre that's happening
1: yeah it is weird Especially, yeah, it's the I kind of film where speech. they make a sequel for it decades later, but the no one from the original is involved. Um, so I'm surprised yeah. that Ridley Scott is the one doing it. Yeah. Um, some more news. Tim Blake Nelson has been cast in Dune 2. Um, nice, nice. Don't nice. know who has, but he has been cast in Dune 2. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is writing a Tomb Raider series for Amazon, which is nice. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Uh, We have a lot of DC news. Time to get into the DC news. This is the biggest chunk of the news. Um, First up, The Batman 2 has been confirmed, finally. uh, And it has officially been called The Batman Part 2. And it will come exclusively to cinemas on the 3rd of October, 2025.
0: I, I'm I'm very much happy with the decision to call it Batman Part 2. It gives it a prestige vibe that would not have been there if it was called the Batman Vengeance or something. Or the Batman, the Brave and the Bold.
1: <laughs> Someone said on Twitter the other day that this is the first ever Batman sequel where they've just put a number on the end.
0: Oh really, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah, all of the others are like the Batman Returns or Batman Returns, Batman yeah. Begins, The Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises and all that jazz. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Aquaman 3 is apparently still happening. James Gunn said that uh, Jason Momoa always viewed Aquaman as a trilogy. Um, If no one's aware, by the way, DC um, announced their upcoming slate uh, a couple of days ago. It's been officially rebranded as DC Studios now. um, And their upcoming slate is as follows. Superman Legacy is coming to cinemas on the 11th of July, 2025. It's a My Superman story. My word, did you story. see
0: the viral tweet about the, did you see that tweet that went like kind of semi-viral about, um, like upcoming actors, like recommendations for actors to play, uh, young Superman?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: It, like, it was like someone's, someone's list of actors and it included Tom Holland and Timothy Chalamet. <laughs>
1: timothy chalamet Chalamet. would be a horrible superman horrible (laughs) that is so funny um it will be written by Gunn, and it's called superman legacy which i'm not a fan of that uh no the next film on dc's slate is called the authority and it's an ensemble movie about superhumans who have uh, less than idealistic approaches to saving the world so it sounds a bit like the Suicide Squad.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I've kind of had that one before. Right, okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, next up is The Brave and the Bold, which will introduce the DCU's Batman. Um, Ugh, Pattinson's again. Batman. Yeah. Pattinson's Batman is separate from all of this. They've actually yes, named that universe. Um, I think it's called something like the Else Worlds. Uh, and that includes yeah. Joker, Joker 2, and the Batman, the Batman Part 2. That's called the Else Worlds film.
0: Well, Else Worlds, yeah, Else Worlds is, El- is just DC term for anything. It's an alternate universe. It's not. They're not saying that the Batman and Joker aren't in the same universe or anything. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah term, that's not what I mean.
1: Yeah, Else Worlds, yeah. That
0: Elseworlds, what I mean. yeah. yeah. So they're making Else Like Superman and Lois is Else Worlds as well, apparently, the TV show. Yeah, so DCU's Batman. So they they obviously DC does have a Batman, which is Ben Affleck, and then yeah, and then now they're bringing Michael Keaton back in. Who originally was supposed to be in Batgirl, but they got cancelled. But he's yeah. still going to be in the Flash. Yeah. So that's two, and then people are going to be in the center. People like you know your mum who hasn't really got much of a clue is just seen Batman in fucking Robert Pattinson. Yeah. And now there's a fourth one. How fucking confusing!
1: I know, especially because I think I this give film. Give Affleck
0: a paycheck, man. I don't I like Affleck, but just give him a paycheck.
1: <laughs> especially because it's called The Brave and the Bold. Like, general audiences will not know that that's a Batman film. I wouldn't know that that's a Batman film. I
0: believe it's called Batman The Brave and the Bold.
1: Oh, okay, that makes more sense. Um, but still, it's general audiences are going to be so confused by all of this. What is canon and what isn't canon? It doesn't make any sense. But The Brave I have and the a Bold.
0: There, and I don't know.
1: Yeah, me too. I've no clue what's going on over at DC. I thought that this announcement would be clearing everything up, and it just hasn't. Uh, But the Brave and the Bold will introduce the Bat family. First among them, Robin. And Robin will be Damien Wayne, who is uh, Bruce Wayne's son, apparently. Played
0: by Timothy Chalamet, most likely.
1: (laughs) Um, Next up there is Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Uh, who is Superman's cousin, and apparently it's a much more hardcore character than Superman.
0: Right. I think it's like one of the biggest box office flops of all time is the, the 70s Supergirl film. Is it? I think so.
1: Oh, that's funny. Um, next one is Swamp Thing, which is, and this is a quote, they this will called... investigate the dark Ooh. origins of Swamp Thing through the prism of horror.
0: Yeah, Swamp Thing goes hard. I, I um, Thumbs up for that one.
1: Yeah, I actually trust DC to do it horror esque though. Unlike when Marvel said that about uh, Werewolf by Night, and Doctor Strange too, and Doctor Strange too. Yeah, um, there are yeah. some TV things that are happening.
0: Yeah, including and Amanda Waller fucking yes. live series. <laughs> yeah, live
1: series i'll speed through the tv shows that have been announced and then we can discuss them all because they're all sort of linked anyway uh first up is creature commandos animated series every episode has been written by james gunn he's also said and i think this is very interesting the voice actors cast in the roles in the animated shows will play the live action versions of their characters later on in the dcu interesting Um, Which I think is is great, as long as they don't cast, like, just someone who can't voice act just because they're a big movie star.
0: Uh, But that show
1: will feature Weasel from the Suicide Squad and Rick Flagg's dad. Weasel! Yeah. Uh, As you said, Waller has been announced, which is a continuation of the Peacemaker story um lanterns has been announced which is a huge hbo quality event that's a quote it's in the same vein as true detective that's also a quote uh it will feature two members of the green lantern's corpse um hal jordan and john stewart investigating a mystery that plays a really big role
0: what the fuck are you on about
1: what
0: in the same vein as true
1: detective yeah i don't know what that means
0: what the fuck?
1: I don't, I don't know what what that means. Um, there's a there's another funny comparison like that coming up in a second, um, but first, Hal Jordan and John Stewart will be investigating a mystery that plays a really big role leading into the main story that they're telling across the DCU. Uh, so it's nice that they're introducing Damn. that story in a TV show that no one will watch. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Next up is Paradise Lost, which is a Game of Thrones-ish story. That's a direct quote. Game of Thrones-ish.
0: What the the fuck are they trying to do over there, man?
1: (laughs) I don't know. Um, This is apparently set on the island of Themyscira before Wonder Woman was born about the political intrigue of a society made up of all women. Right. So, yeah. Uh, And the last one I actually sound... I actually seem a bit excited about this one. Uh, It's called Booster Gold. It's an all-out comedy... Uh, and Booster Gold is a loser from the future who uses a time machine to come back to today and pretend to be a superhero. That one actually yes, sounds yeah, intriguing yeah. to me. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I thought... Oh, that's it for the DC announcements. But yeah, I thought this would be like a big thing where they're like, we are now wiping the slate clean, here is the future of the DCU. But it's sort of half in, half out, very non-committal because... The Suicide Squad is still canon, and the Suicide Squad is a sequel to the 2016 Suicide Squad, and the 2016 Suicide Squad features Ben Affleck's Batman, but Ben Affleck's Batman is not in the DCU anymore. Um, We don't know what's happening to Wonder Woman, we don't know if that's canon or not. Aquaman 2, we don't know if that's canon or not. Aquaman 3 is apparently still happening, but we don't know what can, what is canon in this universe? This is going to be so confusing on the rollout for this. Oh, I feel like they're waiting on the box office results for Aquaman 2 and The Flash before they commit to anything.
0: as I've discussed it before on the podcast, there's a strange corner of the internet that I really hate James Gunn for seemingly no reason. Yes. I mean, they, I think the reason is because he's not Zack Snyder, which is normally the number one thing I look for in a person. But anyway, <laughs> um, personally, I trust James Gunn. I I think he's he's a pretty good director. I, I like I think his Marvel stuff is some of the best Marvel stuff. Yeah. I think that um, that Suicide Squad slaps. Um, I I trust James Gunn basically. Like I, this situation is incredibly convoluted, but I think it would have been incredibly convoluted no matter who came in because it's just in they're in a fucked situation already. Essentially, yeah. He he's been given a bad hand.
1: I feel like what they should have done because this is absolute chaos. Is not say any of this until Aquaman two and the Flash had come out. Yeah, that's probably true. End the Flash, finish it. End Aquaman, finish it. Don't leave them open on cliffhangers, and then just say, "Right, we're wiping the slate clean. This is a whole new start." Yeah, this
0: is called this is called the DC Neu or something. Yeah, just this, this is, is new. This is this different. is Universe Thirty Five.
1: Yeah, because it doesn't make sense. Like, the Suicide Squad is still canon, so is the ba- is Batman v Superman still canon? But th- they're not, because Henry Cavill isn't Superman and Ben Affleck isn't Batman. But Aquaman is still canon, but Aquaman interacted with Ben Affleck. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. I don't understand it. I wish they'd have just waited and then said, we're wiping the slate clean. Fresh start, it'll be worth it.
0: Well, the True, thing right. is, I uh, they want to have their cake and eat it. Essentially, is the situation is that they, 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 they understand that they have to reboot things because, like, other athletes are going to come back and they've decided suddenly that they don't want cavalry and yeah, so the the, the, the main Batman and man, their main two, like IPs are both unavailable, so they have to kind of do something, but then also they they want to have their cake and eat it because they also want to reap the benefits of the very few, either critically or. Financially successful films, <laughs> yeah. like like Aquaman, which is financially sex- successful, or The Suicide Squad, which was critically successful, and Peacemaker and stuff, and, and Wonder Woman and all that stuff. But then I mean, there's they're, Wonder they're, Woman they're
1: because not... Wonder Woman 2 wasn't financially or critically successful. But they they haven't said anything about that.
0: They cancelled the third film, but they haven't got rid of Gal Gadot.
1: Yeah, which if anything, or maybe they having... have got rid of Gal Gadot. They just didn't say anything.
0: Talking of controversial DC stars, Zachary Levi <laughs> tweeted about stuff man stuff. He did, yeah. Which, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the vaccine debate. I mean, it's like fucking February <laughs> 2023. But that's the kind of funny thing is it, it's, the worst part of it is not his views. It's just kind of how terribly kind of so last year he is. Like, what's yeah. the point? Why are you talking about it? <laughs> Obviously, I disagree, right? Like, I don't... This is officially a pro-vaccine podcast. But... Who fucking cares anymore?
1: I know, like, it's so... Why is he tweeting about this in 2023? It's crazy.
0: Yeah, I know.
1: But it also led everyone to unearth old videos of him, like, being besties with Jordan Peterson. and uh, <laughs> Really? Yeah. Yeah, he's like you know someone who I think has got a lot of integrity, Jordan Peterson, and he's being bullied off Twitter right now, and I don't think that's okay. So
0: Rick and Morty, eh? no, no, oh god,
1: yeah, let's not talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, let's. Rick and Morty is
0: continuing. That is news, I guess. That is news, yeah. Yeah, Justin Roiland is no longer working Rick and Morty because he's a horrible, horrible human being. Yeah, but. They're continuing commodity. So what's going to happen is that they're going to get new voice actors in and they get new writers in, right? And it's going to be probably a bit worse, just because you know talent and 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 being a horrible person are not directly related. Um, yeah. And then everyone's going to talk about it being woke and, and ruined and stuff. Like like it's the, the the matrix has caught him rather than him just being a sexual predator.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is, it's sad. Yeah. Well, it's not sad. And well, it is if you like. It's
0: It's sad that it ever happened. It's just yeah, yeah. Big Rick and Moy found myself. As much as cringe as it is to say. Oh geez.
1: Oh geez. <laughs> any more news? No, that's that's all of the news as far as I'm aware. Really. I think. Well, I'm sure there is more news. Um, but yeah. I haven't. Let's just like it down. there's.
0: Matt ha- Mark Hamill's a transphobe, I think, or something. I read that.
1: Oh yeah, he true? liked a, a, he liked one of J.K. Rowling's tweets. Um, oh, I, I think see. he ended up unliking it and saying it was a mistake. But to be fair, it is like the fifth time that he's accidentally liked one of J.K. Rowling's tweets. Um, so who knows?
0: Accidentally liked it. I hate when I accidentally liked the same person's tweet five times.
1: And there was know, a, a yeah.
0: footballer called Joleon Lescott,
1: um, and um... I'm familiar with that name. Did he play for Manchester City? That's the only reason. He I didn't did really play for Manchester City at one point. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's why I know. Um, him. Well, I know his name. And
0: um, he played for Aston Villa at one point in 1516, Which and Aston Villa were the worst team in the league. They got relegated. They were bottom of the league. And then I think like they just lost like seven 0 to to Liverpool at home. And then he immediately like tweeted a picture of his new Bugatti or something like he posted on Instagram like this like. <laughs> Almost like within like 10 minutes of the movie, he posted a picture of his like Ferrari or whatever on Instagram and then claimed he acts ax- after the backlash, he claimed he accidentally ax- did it in his pocket. <laughs> so he accidentally ax- went to what? new post, select the photo and post it in his pocket. His, his... <laughs> yeah. It's almost wow. as bad as Wayne Hennessy crystal palace goalkeeper, Wayne Hennessy in caught doing a Nazi salute and then claiming that he doesn't know what the Holocaust is. Oh God. So punishment was not only a fine, but he also had to go on a like a history course. Damn, damn, damn. damn. Okay, should um, be reviewing please.
1: some films? Let's talk about some films. Let's review, Let's review some, some films.
0: films. A novel concept, perhaps. Um, I know.
1: Yeah. I hope you go first because I've I've spoken for a long time.
0: I'm actually not going first, which is the funny thing. <laughs> so, you're going first on Babylon.
1: <sighs> okay.
0: So I'm going to introduce the film. Um, so we're doing three films on film this week, as I alluded to earlier. So um, three films, you know, about film in different aspects. First film, which being Babylon, which is about the silent film era. Um, the the second film, Empire Light, which is about you know more well, the cinema itself uh, and eighties, and the Fabermans, which is about how cinema impacted the life of Steven Spielberg and his family. So Babylon is and is, is is is. Directed by Damien Chazelle, who has a pretty good track record—La La La Land, Whiplash, and First Man—and is been described as is described on Wikipedia as an epic period comedy drama, which is a lot of words—and follows a a cast of um, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, and kind of new star Diego Calva as they play three people in the film industry um who uh have their lives greatly affected by the, the the transition between um the silent era and the sound era uh, how it affects the life of one man uh who is a, was formerly a great well-known star in the silent era him trying to adapt to the oncoming you know new sound we've got an actress who uh played by Margot Robbie, who kind of has 20 sensibilities and has to adjust to living in a more conservative 30s age. And you have Diego Calva, a Mexican immigrant, um, who has to kind of work his way into the studio system in a very volatile time period. Uh, It's done. It's a very long film. It's 3 hours and 20 minutes, I think. Is that right? 3 hours and 15 minutes? Yeah, and um, is particularly explosive, bright, uh, you know, vibrant exciting all these kind of words uh and and kind of has that uh, kind of distinguishing uh, musical aspect to all of the films that uh damien chazelle makes and is very big and has been nominated for three oscars which uh were uh i'm right in saying i think it was score what is it production 70.
1: design score and
0: costume design i think that's it yeah um so even though you talk talked for ages, I want to make you talk again. What did you think of Babylon?
1: What did I... What did Lewis think of Babylon? The thing that everyone has been uh, anticipating to hear. Well, I thought the trailer looked shit. I was not very excited for it because I thought it was a bad trailer. And I absolutely loved Babylon. It blew me away. It absolutely amazed me. It's so good it's probably, off the top of my head that I'm thinking about now, of the ones that I've seen, it's probably my favourite film about film that I've ever seen. It's so, so good. And it's just amazing. Margot Robbie's performance is fantastic. Damien Chazelle's, not Damien Chazelle, Diego Calva's performance is fantastic. He may be a piece of shit, but Brad Pitt's performance is also fantastic in this. Easily his best performance. Um, he really... Easily easily his best performance in my opinion wow that i've seen i think certainly better than once upon a time in hollywood um and he breaks your heart in this film his character is such a tragic character um it's a it's such a good film so it's in my head it's kind of told in three chapters it's first the roaring 20s of the silent era then the transition period and then after the talkies and the first heart the first section of it is so excessive and decadent that it's you can't like look away it's it's in your face every second of this screen screen time it's absolutely fantastic and then the middle period is so like experimental in the in the film not in terms of the film is experimental, but it's a period of experimenting with this new technology of sound and about how it's going to change cinema forever. There's a scene where Manny watches the jazz singer and runs out and rings Brad Pitt's character and says, everything is about to change. Everything. And nothing is ever the same again. And it's so, so good. And then the last chapter is like, because it's told from the perspective of these four people, you know, Sydney, um, Manny, Nellie, and Jack, the four protagonists, it feels like Hollywood has stopped being so fun and over the top and excessive. But then the sequence with Toby Maguire shows you that it hasn't, nothing has changed. It's just that it's moved on, that these people have been left behind. And that's a theme that is, that, that's what the film is about. Basically how, Every advancement in cinema comes with casualties. You know, so many actors who were, you know, box office stars during the silent era fell off as soon as talking came into films. They could not talk. They couldn't. They couldn't act verbally. And their careers just finished. They were done for. And there was nothing that anyone could do about it because everybody wanted talkies now. And it's about... Every time there's this huge advancement, someone gets left behind. But cinema will always go on. Film will always carry on. It will always persevere through every change that happens. It will always survive. It's the people who work on it. Big people, like Brad Pitt's character, who's a massive movie star. And the little people as well, like Manny, who starts off the film as, like, an assistant. And then he works his way up to a studio executive. And then the actresses, like Margot Robbie's character... It's so, so good. You know, the direction from Damien Chazelle is fantastic. The performances are fantastic. The cinematography is unbelievable. The editing is fantastic. The ending of this film is amazing. I won't talk about the ending in detail, but it's amazing. The big star of this film is Justin Hurwitz, in a way, because his score, I could listen to it for hours. It is laced with cocaine. It is addictive. It's absolutely fantastic, this score. It's amazing, and this the ending. I won't talk about it in detail, but the ending is so moving because, like I said, this film is about cinema and film always persevering through everything. You know, we went through the war, dep- the depression, everything, but film always survived. It always persevered. It's the people, the actors, the workers who love the films that that get left behind, and the ending is so moving that I was like close to tears watching the whole ending sequence because it was so sad and so triumphant at the same time and then there's another sequence in the film where Gene Smart who is also fantastic in this film delivers a monologue to Brad Pitt and it's one of the best scenes of the year there are so many scenes in this film that could be the best scene of the year but that one for me was amazing about the longevity of films as well she's talking about You know, long after you're dead, someone will exhume your films from the vaults and project them. And as soon as someone watches your films, you'll be alive again. You're immortal. And it's about the lasting effect of cinema and the fact that we have films of people who died decades and decades and decades ago and their impact is still being felt. Their effect is still being felt. You know, there's Mm -hmm. another great scene where Brad Pitt lectures his wife, um, who's a theatre actress, and at the time, you know, theatre actors were taken a lot more seriously than movie stars. Um, And he tells her it's not a low art. You know, cinema is not a low art. It matters. It means something to so many people. And this film basically shows you why. And then it shows you at the ending everything that cinema has become every technological advancement you see in that ending and you know at first you think of it as just oh my god this is a great i love films this is amazing but when you think about it you think you're seeing so many people's lives and a lot of them are dead a lot of them you know don't work anymore because technology moved on we don't need them anymore and it becomes so sorrowful and so sad it's just amazing i Absolutely loved Babylon. I fell in love with it. It's three and a bit hours. I watched it. I rewatched it recently. Watched it the day it came out. And then I watched it again a couple of days ago. And at no point did I feel like... I just... I kind of want this to be over now. It doesn't feel like it drags. It absolutely flies by. It's got breakneck pacing. But in a great way. And it's just absolutely amazing. It's so fantastic. I feel like there are so i know i said this a second ago but there are, i even as i'm talking i'm thinking there's another scene that i think that that could be the scene of the year that could be the scene of the year there are so many moments where it's just so brilliant and moving and emotional and but at the same time hilarious and slapstick and crazy that you think how can a film that's so slapstick and insane be so emotional and moving and yet it is and it's just it blew me away, Babylon. Blew me away. I loved it. And I hope you feel the same way. How do you feel, pray? How tell? do I feel
0: about Babylon? Well, I'll say I'll say one thing right right away. The honest answer is I'm not hundred percent sure. Because I feel like I say okay, it's I've checked now, it's three hours and ten minutes. Um even though you know there's a lot in there. There's a in three hours and ten minutes, even though you get to spend a lot of time in the film it still goes by a lot of things so quickly because I said the, the pacing is so breakneck that I feel like I, I didn't get to fully take everything in. You know, I'd like to rewatch it, to be honest, and I would yeah. like to see my thoughts change after that. Uh, but these are going to be my initial thoughts, the way I feel right now, having seen it earlier today. Um, there is very little re- really wrong with Babylon. I, I do think that it is in almost every way exceptional um I, I i generally you know i'll go into my my thoughts maybe necessarily why i disagree with you but generally you know i'll say the performances were terrific you know um i don't necessarily if i'd say this is Brad best ever performance but he is exceptional here and i completely agree that he is better than he was when he when he won the oscar a few years ago um for for what's Time in hollywood Mark robbie is, is amazing here Derek calver great breakout performance um, a lot really really good uh, performances from the supporting cast uh, it, you know again it's, it's kind of a three slash four person story because Sydney is a lot less important than the other three it seems um, yeah. Jovan uh, Adipo if I'm that right um, also excellent Gene Smart um, Toby Maguire uh, Samara Weaving loads of great performances in there uh, Lee Jun Lee some really oh, good yeah. Um Yeah, the film is exciting and um, just vibrant. The colours used, it looks wonderful, it sounds wonderful. And the thing that it does so well is I think we view film quite linearly and quite directly related to one another. You know, you think of a progression of film in the early days, you know, when I, when I'm watching these films, 1900, 1902 to 1910, you're seeing the cinematic techniques and you're seeing how things evolve and you're seeing directors start to get styles. But one thing I don't think people realize enough or people don't think enough when they're comparing uh, the talkies, you know, the early, early talkies and, and the, and the late silent films is that the change in culture that happens towards the end of the twenties is it's so mm. enormous. I think that this film really does do a good job of just showing how much the, um, you know, the kind of, you know, um, stylish, kind of really liberal, kind of sexual, bright, you know, exciting 20s turned to a quite conservative, quite... Traditionalist thirties. Yeah. It's really quite a massive change. I think you can yeah. see that reflection of the way that Margot Robbie's character uh, Nelly is treated. You know, there's such an obvious kind of difference. And I think you know the biggest way to, to describe that initial feeling, or, or the the difference in though, the, the, is the initial feeling you get from the the, the first scene of the film that, that was one of the first things filmed that massive party that goes on for seemingly. Yeah, twenty minutes, whatever, thirty minutes. Is it you know the bright lights that compare that? You know, for people that have seen the film, to you know the only time that you're seeing excitement and and explosiveness and and sexuality in that regard is in some dirty underground bunker with Tobey Maguire's character. You know, the way that the the, the feelings that people have are still there but are so repressed. By the next decade, I think the film does a really good job at showing that, showing the difference in in everything. You know, as you said, dear Calvert, nothing changes, but everything changes. And the way that the film industry changes, I think you know, looking at the the early sets you have in the in the, in the silent era, filming five scenes at once to the, the intense studio atmosphere that comes uh, in in the in the late twenties. Um, basically, this film consists of a lot of. Exciting, well-written, well-acted, you know, just really well-made, just solid, exciting, fun vignettes. Different parts of the filmmaking industry, different small pieces of of the kind of greater tapestry of of film from every individual aspect of the actors' lives, the filming process, everything. It's just little bits here and there. Summing up every area of film, every area of every different area of the massive world of of acting and, and filming at that point. the problem mm. I have is the connecting of those vignettes because I really struggled to see this as one coherent story that I've become attached to that 's the problem that that 's what lets me down even though every individual element was wonderful. I did not form a connection with the lead two characters, and I know Brad Pitt is kind of a lead character, but you know, he very much is the third out of the, the big three yeah. in the film. Diego Calva's and uh, Margot Robbie's characters of Manuel and uh, Nelly are clearly the, the leading co-lead, the, the main two there. I don't really ever believe in their characters. I never really feel any sense of connection, especially to Manuel, who seems to have a very loose backstory. It's mentioned once or twice. You get some stuff towards the end but I, I don't really feel like I, I cared for him as a human being. I was far more interested in the subplots. Uh, Mario Robbie's character, a little bit more definition, failed to necessarily see the connection between her and, and Manuel. It seemed to come out of nowhere once every 45 minutes we were reminded that them two liked each other. It, it For me, I thought that there was. it felt like we were missing scenes in there. I had to have a reason to care about them two as a pairing. I think that generally kind of uh breaks a lot of the third part of the third act's story a apart even though the script is so good i don't necessarily know if i went along with all of that and i also think that some of the most interesting stuff is Kind of um, sidelined to some of the less important characters. I think that the story of Sydney is one of the ones that I think is is one of the most interesting ones, and I really, really enjoyed all of his scenes. But he very much seems like the fourth part of the story, the fourth character, and I thought that was yeah. a, a mistake. Um, look, I loved it. I really did. I, I, re- I appreciated every moment of it. I thought it went by like like clicking the fingers. It did not feel like it was three hours long, uh, and that ending scene. I understand some of the criticisms towards it but I also did love it at the time I really, I will admit, I, I, I really thought it was a nice touch um, I disagree with you on the editing, I think there's quite a few moments of poor editing in this, personally wasn't a big fan some nice flashy stuff towards the end but I think just in general, I thought the editing was a little bit below, especially seeing how good the standard cinematography was Judd Hurst. if I pronounced that right
1: Judd, Judd Hurst Hirsch. yeah
0: Judd Hirsch. Got yeah. nominated for the Fableman's in supporting actor for a couple scenes. He's in the film for a few scenes, but their scene is impactful enough for him to earn uh, an Oscar nomination. If anyone deserves that, I think it's Toby Maguire. I thought Tobey Maguire was the standout performer of the film. I thought Tobey Maguire was amazing. By apps That he was only in two, three scenes. But every single time he opened his mouth, I was staring at him. And it's not just because I liked the guy. I thought that just his character, his, his creepiness, the makeup of him, everything. I know obviously that's not him himself, but just, it was like, I, I, it was a car crash. He's horrible. He's a, a disgusting character. <laughs> but I just couldn't turn away. and I thought the performance went to a match. I thought that he was, for me, the standout of the film. And oh, I, I came oh, away wow. thinking, like... I forgot how good Tobey Maguire is. He's not been in any film other than a Marvel film since like 2014 <laughs> or something. Uh, where, you know, the great Gatsby where he's playing the opposite of the character that he's playing here. Um, yeah. I mean, I understand all the reasons you love it and I kind of wish I could. And I think maybe watching it again, maybe I'm spending a bit more actual time with those characters. Um, hmm. But, as someone that's also a bit of a nerd for the silent era it definitely scratched the major itch and i think um it's quite impressive how um well they uh you know like the brad pitt's character the the jack conway character is you know the, the the old um veteran of the silent era struggling into the, the sound era showing him in the silent era i think it's so um representative of what those stars look like and the way they act yeah. the scenes i think the acting is very that well done um yeah, and again, some some a few of the best scenes of the year. I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, did you did get? So I was going to ask you know, did say? you did you get a? I felt a very strong connection between the ending montage with Diego Calva that you were describing. The you know the the flat, fast editing montage bit. I mm. felt a very strong connection between that and the "My God, it's full of stars" moment from the end of two thousand one.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, actually, yeah. I, I didn't put that the, together until now. You know, like, him yeah.
0: seeing that, the way he reacts, he, the, kind of the concern, but also the kind of pleasure, the excitement of it, the, the visuals yeah, that we're so. looking at. And also, yeah, the, the kind of realize. I think that the fact that, he, that both of those two characters are witnessing the enormity of the reality they live in. Yeah, I think that's true.
1: 2001 films. is about, like, the vast, like, existence of humanity and then the one in babylon is like a microcosm of that of its yeah. their place within the film industry. So yeah, that makes that makes sense. I didn't put that together till now, but yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But yeah, I do I do know what you mean about not really having a thread to connect all the scenes through. Um but I think that's that's kind of why I like it so much. Um because it is just a series of of little bits. It's not like you're getting this the full story you're just getting little bits of it um and you know my heart broke in the scene with with Manny and Nelly at the end when they're dancing my heart broke in that scene knowing what's coming it's so it's so like heartbreaking where I know you saying you didn't particularly get invested in that uh relationship those characters um but when you do get invested in it as I did, maybe you will on a second watch. Um, it's just so devastating; it like rips your heart out. It's um, it's really sad, but also really like like I said, it's a really triumphant but really sorrowful ending. So yeah, I mean, I guess it's a bit of a spoiler for my next two reviews,
0: but this is regardless of my thoughts on the other two films, whether they're more positive or more negative. This is the film that directly made me appreciate film the most of the ones we've talked yeah. about today. That like the, yeah. the, you know, uh, Empire Light is more about the cinema really than it is about films. Yeah. Um, and the, and the Favreman's is an incredibly personal story. Hmm. This one really made you realize like, oh man, it is wonderful. And especially that era. I kind of look around and think, oh that, yeah, that, that period was just so fun.
1: Um I know yeah. and I think another one of the things I loved about it so much is like you were saying the the way that Hollywood got so conservative in the 30s because of the Hayes code and everything like that. Um I think the scene that really um illustrates that for me is that when Manny and the count are fleeing from the bunker uh, and they're running away from gunshots it cuts very jarring cut to a very dull, boring party that Brad Pitt is at. And it's a direct contrast between the kind of parties that happen in Underground, the kind of parties that were happening at the beginning, and the kind of parties that are now the type of Hollywood parties. Like, it's become so prudish. Like, in the first party, it's so excessive. There are drugs and people having sex out and about. There's an elephant there. And then this party and there's like a string quartet band and people are all in tuxedos and they're just having nice conversations with a glass of wine. I think that that cut really illustrates the big, big change that went on in Hollywood. And it's executed so flawlessly with a single cut. And I think that is the most impactful moment in the film in terms of displaying the change that Hollywood was going through with the Hays Code at that time and with that sort of stuff in general in America, not just in the Hays Code, but all over. um, I thought that one singular cut was so perfect. I loved it. I love this film.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also I didn't mention it, uh, but you did. Um, the score obviously is wonderful and it's completely deserving of its aforementioned, um, Oscar nomination because it's very good. One of the standouts of the year for sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, talk about individual aspects, creating that feeling of especially the, you know, the, the, the 20s. Um, it goes down to, to a lot of the, the excellent work of the, uh, production and costume design teams. And, and, um, again, Praising well, a lot of my praise to Toby Maguire also comes from the magnificent hair and makeup that he's got on that point because he looks so horrific. It's um, it's, it's pleasurable. Um, <laughs>
1: what are you thinking, rating wise, then?
0: I, I'm I, so it is a bit of a weird one because I, you know, there are part of me that, that you know, I failed to emotionally connect with it, which is a major downfall, but then also I love every aspect of it in a weird way. Well, not every yeah. aspect, but, but most aspects. Um, I think I'm kind of inclined to go in in the eight to eight and a half range.
1: Fair enough. That makes sense with what you've said. I'm assuming
0: you want to go for a 10.
1: I am going to go for a 10 out of 10. For me, this is this was a, a big swing that was risky and it didn't pay off because it flopped at the box office and it critically bombed. But <laughs> it paid off yeah. for me um, because I loved it. And I think it will be reevaluated in like 10 years and people will be like, how did that not win Best Picture?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I, yeah, 10 out yeah, of 10. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not my fa I'm not saying anything. Actually, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so what are you thinking for Man of the Match?
1: This one is really tough. Really tough. I have no clue. It's so difficult. I, like, you didn't, but I loved the editing. The production design, the costume design, the hair and makeup, the cinematography, it was all amazing. And I kind of want to give it to Damien Chazelle because he is the architect of the whole thing. But at the same time, the score, the music, is just so impeccably good. I I think I have to give it to Justin Hurwitz. Absolutely unbelievable score in this film baffling that he has scored five films they're all damien Chatel's films and every single one of them has amazing music i haven't seen first man so i don't know but and i haven't seen guy and madeline on a park bench either but the three yeah. that i have seen all have amazing music so i would say justin Hurwitz for his score
0: yeah um, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. I, I'm not going to give it to Toby Maguire because. <laughs> um,
1: uh, see, I, I, I'm considering Toby Maguire was a producer on this film. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had no idea.
0: Yeah, so I I'm considering, kind of the same people you are. I'm considering Chazelle I'm considering Hurwitz and I'm also considering. Uh,
1: The cinematographer who is Linus Sandgren, yeah, Um, and all of the actors as well have—they're all great. Jean Smart is not getting enough appreciation. She has a small role; she doesn't really do much, but what she does do, she does impeccably. I argue it's not a small role. Well, maybe you'd be right. That is true. She is in it quite a lot. Um, I am going to give
0: it to Linus Sandgren cinematographer, because I love to praise cinematographers on this podcast and I'm continuing that the cinematography is wonderful. And again, creating that vibrancy, um, you know, making, you know, giving that the, the energy to the, the color to, to that world is so important to presenting, you know, the, the wonder of the twenties compared to the kind of relative, you know, relatively drab thirties. So, um, yeah, I'm going to give it to, to a lot sangren, big up. Fair enough. I agree. Okay, nice. So, yeah, not I didn't I didn't I didn't love it. I didn't absolutely adore it, but you know, not 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 to the same level you did. But I, I still respected it. So I guess you you can kind of be decently happy with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I can't really complain about your review. It's a good review. You just didn't emotionally connect with it, and that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Next up,
0: we have director Sam Mendes' new film, Empire of Light. If you don't know Sam Mendes, you will know the films he's directed. He directed 1917, Skyfall, Spectre, Road to Pedition, and Oscar-winning film, American Beauty.
1: Yeah. All three films that we're doing today are by Oscar-winning directors. How interesting. Yes,
0: very true, yeah. Um. So, Empire of Light is... A film starring Olivia Coleman and a performance from relatively unknown uh, English actor Michael Ward, who I think is best known for uh, his part in Blue Story. Uh, it also features performances from Colin Firth and Toby Jones and features around the, uh, Olivia Coleman's character Hillary, who is a middle aged woman in, uh, I believe, Margate, who. Um, works in a cinema and she begins a kind of uh, unconventional whirlwind romance with Michael Ward's uh, character, who is a young black man called Stephen in a time of racism um, and uh, racism. And I guess uh, the issues with uh, age, age gap and also Issues around the way that mental health was looked at, seeing as Olivia Coleman, the Coleman's character uh, Hillary, has quite strong mental health problems, um, all along the backdrop of the cinema and the way that it affects our lives. So I will start off with Empire of Light on this one. Uh, I'll start reviewing this. Take it away. So again, you know, saying if if The Fabemans is is Steven Spielberg's love letter to hit film in his life, and Dame Chazelle is the love letter to a silent film, a film in general. This is the love letter to the cinema itself. Um, And I think in in, in its aim of doing that, it does a very good job. The problem is, this film, um, is that it really does try to do far too much. That is my issue with the film, is that this film is ridiculously overambitious. And and I think that greatly lets it down. If it... People use the term Oscar bait often in the same way that people use the word pretentious often to describe films, and I very rarely find that I find very many films ever to be pretentious. I think that most films are called Oscar bait, uh, it's a fairly unfair statement. This film is Oscar bait. He has tried to tick every single box that he can do to add in every single subplot to affect every single area of society to try and get a film that is going to, you know, Make academy voters want to vote. Include, you know, the, this film does not need to be about this many different issues, this different many aspects of life all at once. It does not have the screen time for it. It does not have the reason to do it. And I feel like it just felt a bit bloated. Again, technically well made. It got a cinematography Oscar, which is a surprise. It is Roger Deakins, so you know, I'm, you know, I guess it can be that. It is well shot. Slightly surprising. It's been considered one of the five best of the year. Um, it's technically great. Acting is, is generally pretty good. I'm going to get back to that in a minute. Um, but again, it, it's just simply trying to do too much. Uh, it, you know, the, there is the main theme of the cinema is dealing with the, also deals with the subplot of the, the, the age gap romance, the interracial romance, the racism felt uh, at that point in the, in the time, uh, the mental health issues, past relationships, it's like there's an awful lot of things going on all at once. College yeah. was in there. It's Sexual all of these abuse. Things going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's one. Yeah. All of that is in there. And it really feels like this film could have been simplified to a far neater, maybe shorter film that would have worked way better. And I think that is the main issue. I just didn't know what I wanted from this. Every two minutes it was framed. a different subplot at me. And I was just feeling like, uh, you know, literally, again, I keep saying it just simply does too much. And I felt like I couldn't really uh, appreciate the film for all it could be because, you know, there's so much potential, especially in the way that it's made. And, and, you know, you know that it it could have been done so much better if they just started honing in on a few things here and there. Some really good scenes in there. Some of the ways they treat these issues, really, really well done. Um, But, Yeah. I don't know. It, it just, again, it felt like he was just, he, since he's won that Oscar, he's out there trying <laughs> to find another one because it, this, this is a film. I've never seen a film. That's so blatantly said, please, um, you know, um, please, uh, nominate me. Uh, on so, the matter of performances, um, Michael Ward, you know, first performance. I uh, first, I know really of him. He was excellent. Really, really strong performance. Absolutely loved him. Thought, you know, we've got a star on our hands. Uh, Colin Firth, Relatively small performance, kind of confiscated uh, to the first half of the film. Confined, sorry, to the first half of the film. Toby Jones, pretty good. Olivia Coleman, bigs her up last a lot last year on the last Lost, Lost Daughter. I think this is one of her more average performances. I, I think there are points here where I think she struggles actually, which I would never thought I'd say about Olivia Coleman. I've never had a problem with any of her performances before. I still don't think it's a bad performance. I think if any actor puts this in, you usually would say good performance. Very high standards with Coleman. She's one of the best working British actors. Did not wow. think she was up to her usual standard here. That That is just 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 me. I, a few times I just found myself cringing a little bit on some of the line deliveries. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah, also there's a lot of musical stuff in here as well, which is again confusing the, the general plot. But yeah. Um, what did you, you you've already talked about Empire Light? You talked about it last week. If you want to just give a few quick thoughts on Empire Light,
1: yeah, um, I basically agree with you. When I first watched it, I liked it a lot more, um, but after I've had time to sit with it, I I pretty much agree with you. I do disagree about Olivia Coleman. I think she's fantastic in this. Um, I think she's at a point where every performance she gives, she could get nominated for an Oscar, and I'd be like, fair enough. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, and this is no different. I think she's great in this film. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's a little bit unfocused. It doesn't really know what it wants to be about. And there's also just this... It, the the thing about the film being like the love of cinemas, like movie theatres, um, is is it kind of comes out of nowhere when Olivia Coleman's character has never seen a film. And then all of a sudden she rushes to the cinema after it's closed, and says to the projector, show me a film. And it's meant to be like this big emotional catharsis, but it doesn't really feel earned in any way. It just kind of happens out of nowhere. So yeah, I agree. It kind of feels like a lot crammed into not a lot. So yeah, I agree. It could have chopped it down, tried to do a lot less with a lot less, and it would have been a lot more. Sometimes less is more. And this is one of those cases, I think.
0: I think some of the struggles are at least partially made up for the fact that it does have absolutely
1: ounces of charm. The first hour also is brilliant. I remember being sat there thinking, yeah, this is I very agree. my cup of tea, love it. And then it just sort of keeps going.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, it it starts a lot stronger than it finishes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also maybe some of the decisions towards the end are, I think, um, perhaps slightly strange. Um, yeah. Perhaps not the most satisfying conclusion, nor one that feels, and it just is a little bit random. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't hate this film by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's, it's well made, and I think a lot of the performances are great, uh, and I appreciate what it's trying to do. But again, yeah, it, it, it doesn't know what it wants to be. And yeah, again, it does kind of reek of, of Sam Enders kind of actually just kind of going all gung ho on this one. And I, I do, I do believe that. Oh, I think I'm gonna give it about a six,
1: a six, fair enough. I'm gonna give it a seven. I think uh, that's reflective. I liked it a little bit more than you, so yeah, seven makes sense to me.
0: Roger Deakins is amazing, cinematography is very good. Again, I think it's kind of ridiculous. It's been called one of the five best, especially we've had some amazing cinematography this year that hasn't been nominated. I'm not going to say what, because we'll talk about there, later. Um, but it might rhyme with "Bath the Sun. Um, I'm going to give my amount of the match to Michael Ward. You know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a standout performance. I think he's the better of the two leads here, which, again, is pretty impressive, seeing he's alongside Coleman. Um, Yeah, I think that, regardless of my thoughts on the film, it's an absolutely flawless performance.
1: Fair enough. I am going to give my Man of the Watch to Mark Tilsley, who is the production designer. I, really? Uh, I, think the, I think the production design was great. It created that um, sort of old independent cinema vibe really, really well. There used to be an independent cinema that was right next to my house, uh, my fa- the family house in Manchester, uh, that we used to go to when we were kids. It got knocked down about 15 years ago. Um, but it felt exactly like that. It felt... Exactly the same, um, so I, I loved the production design, and in uh, Hillary's apartment as well, I thought the production design was great. So yeah, I'm going to go to the production designer Mark Tildsley.
0: Wow, it's quite a, quite an obscure pick for this type of film, but I um I also yeah. appreciate. It. I think uh, I respect that choice.
1: The nice.
0: Fablemans. The Fablemans. Um, the Fablemans. So let's start off. Um, what do you think of the Fablemans as a title for a film?
1: I think it's a. Yeah, I've never really thought about it. It's a. It's a film title. It's solid. I, think it's I don't weird, think it's bad. Hit, you
0: know. I don't think so. It it's the name kind of, of the
1: family. Yeah,
0: it's just. I think it's a bit of a strange. But I guess it kind of has a kind of um, fantasy vibe to it, and perhaps that is kind of trying to invoke the wonder that this film tries to generate. Perhaps. I don't get that fantasy vibe from it, but. Fablemans, I think it's kind of kind of uh, Dungeons and Dragons esque. No, fair enough. Okay, <laughs> I, got, I think the word "fable," you know. Okay, I suppose um, so. the Fabemans is the newest film from legendary director Steven Spielberg, which is a semi-autobiographical film that is based on parts or aspects of Spielberg's life and his uh, relationship with his family and his relationship with film. Of course, that's what we're talking about today. It stars uh, Gabriel LaBelle as Sammy Fabelman, who is the standing character for Stephen. And his parents are played by Michelle Williams and Paul Dano, um, respectively. And Seth Rogen, as well as as Judd Hirsch, Oscar-nominated Judd Hirsch, uh, make up the uh, uh, supporting roles. So... Again, it's kind of hard to give this film more of a discussion more of a description than that because, you know, this this film is basically just his relationship with film, but it it follows Sammy growing up. Uh, moving through different places around America and, you know, how different friendships and uh, hardships and uh, family problems and family positives seem to affect, you know, the way that he views film, his relationship with film, uh, him wanting to become a a filmmaker um, and, and so on and so forth. Whilst of course the, a lot of family problems themselves uh, are kind of highlighted, including, you know, the, the questions around, um, Michelle Williams and uh, the mother character and her feelings and her relationship and such, uh, who has also received Oscar nomination for her, her acting. So, um, there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter over the last week. A question, which is, what was Steven Spielberg's last great film? Um, to which a lot of people are responding: The Fablemans. Um, do you consider The Fablemans Steven Spielberg's most Uh, his last great film, or do you think he is a uh, a stinker? Um, What do you think of The Fablemans?
1: Um, Well, I hope that you really loved The Fablemans because I didn't, and I like Conflict. I, you know, Steven Spielberg is one of the greatest directors ever, uh, and his direction in this is as good as ever. Um, But to me, it felt very unfocused, it felt a little bit too personal in the sense that I couldn't connect with it because I wasn't living it. It like it felt like you had to fill in a lot of the gaps. Um, you know, I think it's it doesn't really know if the lead is Sammy Fableman or Mitzi Fableman. And I think that's why a lot of the confusion and, and kind of discussion about is Michelle Williams lead or supporting. At first everyone thought she was supporting, she got campaigned in lead, now people are like, no, she is the lead. She's the co-lead, and I think the film doesn't know if she's the lead either. Uh, I think when she's on the screen, she is the lead, but when she's not on the screen, they treat her as if she's supporting. Like, they never talk about her. You know, the arc of her character is that she's in an unhappy marriage and she wants to be with Benny, Seth Rogen's character. Um, but we we don't see any of that, like, come to fruition. There's no There's no finish to that storyline. Because it's not her story, so why would we? But it treats it like her story a lot of the time. Um, it, it seems to think, it's not sure what the plot is. Is the plot Sammy Fableman's love of film becoming a filmmaker? Or is the plot this family drama about... Mitzi Fableman being in an unhappy marriage it doesn't seem to know it seems to go back and forth between the two and not really commit to either one is it a film about Steven Spielberg's love of cinema growing up or is it a film about his family is it a drama about his family the film doesn't really know um and I just found it quite unfocused and I didn't really connect with it or love it in that way um It was impeccably well made, I can't complain about any of the technicalities of this film. Cinematography is astonishing, the direction is great. The script I had issues with, which I've just described, I think it's very unfocused. Spielberg doesn't often write his own scripts, I think that's one of my favourite things about Spielberg, is that he knows his limits, he knows he's not a great writer, so he just directs other people's scripts, more often than not nowadays Tony Kushner's scripts. I think that's one of the best things about him. Um, he co-wrote this, and I think it feels unfocused a little bit. He didn't really know where to... what like When you're making a film this personal, it must be quite difficult to kill your darlings and be like, I'm going to put that scene out because it's not as important, and I need to put this scene in. It feels like he just kept everything in in the order that it happened rather than making it a good narrative to weave through uh, all of these amazingly technically well-done scenes. Um the performances were great gabriel labelle was great as sammy fabelman Shaw williams was great but again her character felt unfocused because it felt like half the time she was the lead half the time she was supporting paul Dano, he was okay i didn't feel like his performance was nothing to write home about uh, judd hirsch got an oscar nomination for literally one scene we're not being hyperbolic it's literally one scene I am baffled that Judd Hirsch got an Oscar nomination for that. It's a good scene, don't get me wrong, but when he leaves, I remember thinking to myself in the cinema, how how is he going to come back? Because surely he didn't get an Oscar nomination for that, and he just doesn't come back. He did get an Oscar nomination for that one singular scene.
0: I would like to say I think that sets a good precedent. I think
1: that
0: supporting. I think it could set a good precedent. Supporting actor, you know. I, the amount of time should not matter. I think that uh, I think that uh, an amazing small performance is, is it should be worthy of awards talk, and that's why I said about Tom McGuire earlier. I thought he, I truly do think Tom McGuire is amazing. I loved his character. I loved him. I think Judd Hurst. I'm gonna get to onto him. I think he's great here. I, I don't know if he would make it into my top five performances of the year. I very much doubt he would be in my top five list but I'm very happy about the decision for them to include him because I think it means the Academy are looking differently. I, I appreciate that. I,
1: I agree with the sentiment there, but it's not exactly the first time. I mean, Judy Dench won an Oscar for, like, one scene as well in the 90s. Uh, so it's not the first time that this yeah, has happened. Yeah, no, of course not. But yeah, I no, just don't course. think And even lead he... actors
0: have won with 10 minutes of screen time. Yeah. But I... Um... I just think that the fact that they've done it it doesn't feel like they've done it for a while. I also don't think that anything that's been in awards contention in the last five years has been in that, that kind of thing. So I
1: suppose so. Yeah. But I still don't think he he would deserve it. Um, I understand what you're saying, but I still just don't think he deserves an Oscar nomination for this performance. Um, so yeah, that's how I feel about the Fablemans. It's a very, very well-made thing. The score is great. The editing is fantastic. Um, but for me, it just felt unfocused. It didn't know what it wanted to be. Um, and I was quite disappointed with it. I've been overwhelmingly negative, but I did still very much enjoy it. It's a, it's a great, great, very well-made film. It just felt it didn't know what it wanted to be. I didn't really vibe with it. I hope you I... loved it because I like conflict.
0: Weirdly, I mean, this episode, I think nothing we've massively disagreed on but we've also had different thoughts and everything, which is kind of nice. Yeah. You know, like we've had different thoughts, but like Babylon, you liked it. You loved it. I liked it, but there was different aspects that we disagreed on. Even the yeah. Empire Light, let I, I have problems with the Favemans. uh, but my problems are different problems. So. Ooh, pray tell. I, I like the Fabermans. I think the Fabermans is a very good film. And for the vast majority of the film, I, I did enjoy it. um, I think you know. I think that I didn't have a problem. I didn't think the film felt unfocused to me. To be honest, it's not something that I had much concern about. I thought that I, I thought it was a very interesting story focused within on on Sammy, and I, I never felt like within my interpretation of the film, I never felt like there was a fight between uh, Mitzi and, and Sammy as the lead. It always felt like Sammy's film. I think, and and it was kind of showing her how he relates to his own mother. And I think the story generally, you know, on paper, is an interesting one of a of a you know of a boy's love film and, a, and and essentially you know we get an insight into the into the the life of Steven Spielberg who's you know one of the most critically acclaimed um and most you know loved directors of all time one of my problems with Steven Spielberg in general is my problem with this film Steven Spielberg is unbelievably good at making blockbusters and i think there's a lot of stigma Around not necessarily Spielberg. I think he he kind of people understand how good he is. But blockbusters in general and blockbuster directors, there seems to be a kind of a, st- a stigma is it? as a kind of lower form of art. I don't want to get into that, that's not my criticism here. But I think all of Spielberg's films, often a lot of them, are kind of commercially driven. You're thinking of the Eretis and Jurassic Parks and stuff. Um there's a kind of gloss to them i don't know if you necessarily know what i mean there's this kind of very american very commercial very glossy quality to these films that i i felt like really did not need really kind of went against the point of this film and yet it still felt very much like that you know i think that there is no this was very safe in a lot of aspects i thought uh I again, it had that kind of cheesiness to it and again very much commercial and it, everything looked very easy on the eye and I I just thought you know, when we're talking about we we're kind of a cutting into to what makes you a man and 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 going into the depths of of Spielberg and yet you still weren't kinda of happy to drop the kind of act, to drop the kind of um, you know, I made Ray's Lost Ark. This is how I make my movies. Can you? I just kind of felt like you could just peel back that that kind of um, you know super superficial feeling to those films, just for an instance to kind of give us an insight into the kind of grittier. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm asking the wrong thing from the wrong person, but I just think that this that what I wanted from this film could not necessarily be done by this director, which is very ironic seeing as it is the film, the sort of film about that director himself. Um, on a performance level, on a technical level, I can't, I can't complain. I thought the production time was great. Um, I, I agree with you on, on a few things, but I disagree with you in terms of acting. I thought Michelle Williams was shit. Did not rate Michelle. Williams Really? Really, really did not like her performance at all. I, I, I remember seeing, a, everyone was praising her. I saw a singular review months ago, saying surely there's no way that like Steve, uh, steven spiro's mom <laughs> like was was like that it was like that sounded that <laughs> ridiculous Acted that ridiculous and um i don't mean any of her like marital problems and stuff and her issues you know that's all i understand but it's the way that it was done i mean i think i thought the acting was, was really quite bad oh, i, I no. really did not i didn't i do not see it myself michelle williams uh, i thought paul dana was really good i i do like paul dana a lot and i praise him a lot i think he's great I think he's really good here as well. I really liked him. I thought he had a real tenderness to him. I think he had a real um there's this is kind of he he's got this serious mathematic um persona, this kind of shell. But when he gets those more emotional scenes later on, there's this real tenderness to him that I thought was really well done. Um there's you know, kind of a bit later on, um, you know, a scene later on where uh, you see Paul Dano's character looking at those photos. and I think that's just a yeah. really well-acted scene, a really well-done scene in general. Um Seth Rogan thought he was pretty good, actually. Thought he was pretty good. Grable LaBelle, great performance. I think Judd Hurst, again, don't think he deserves necessarily an Oscar nomination, but I really appreciate him while losing that, and I kind of like the idea that he does get nominated. And lastly, our, I was absolutely. I knew it was coming. I kind of forgot about it towards near the end. And oh, I forgot just to talk about this. Yeah, I was, and I know it's not a spoiler now because everyone knows about it, but I was so happy to see David Lynch. Oh yes. man, I was so happy to see David Lynch. Um, uh, what a man. Uh, playing John what Ford which as well. Makes an even nice touch. Now also, you, tell, you can tell in very small screen time that David Lynch cannot act at all. Um, <laughs> But I don't care. That's not a negative to the film. It's David. I Lynch think David
1: Lynch deserves the best supporting actor nomination over Judd Hirsch. He was great in that scene. You know what? Though he like, did exactly what he needed would to do.
0: do. It's like the guy out of the um, guy out of the Godfather Part Two that got nominated, basically just because he was an acting guy. Oh
1: yeah! <laughs> Imagine if David Lynch finally won his competitive Oscar for acting.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> that that would be pretty mad. Um but yeah, yeah, David Lynch is great. The scene I love that scene.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I think, it, you know, it's, it's it's a nice film. You know, it's again, once again, charming, heartwarming. And and I think it does symbolise necessarily why Spielberg loves films so much. I think it, it succeeds in those aims. So I think that, it you know, it, it does do what it wants to do. I just feel like it perhaps is a little bit too, again, safe, a little bit too, you know, commercial, a little bit too dare I say American
1: yeah I do I do know what you mean but again my main issue with it is that I just didn't really care about what was happening I think there's no real nice way to say this but I feel like your your life was not interesting enough for a film your childhood was not interesting enough for a film I'm sorry Steven Spielberg I know that your parents divorce impacted you massively it's been in every film you've ever made it was not interesting <laughs> enough to have a film dedicated to it. it just I mean, the it. fact
0: that I, I didn't find, find this film boring at all means I think it's quite a testament to, despite my issues with maybe the style, it shows that he's such an uh, accomplished director that he knows how to make an interesting story out of essentially an, an interesting story. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I never was bored by it. I, w- I, know, well, I wouldn't say I was
1: bored this, by it, but I just don't think it was interesting enough to keep me, ca- I wasn't captivated by it.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, one of the problems with this is like, how do you finish the film as well? Cause you can't kind of just end it with,
1: and then he grew up to be Steven Spielberg. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like I thought that's one of the things that I thought when it ended, I was like, no, Steven, this is where your life got interesting. Your life well, yeah, got interesting also, it's not really, where you're it's ending not- it.
0: There's no, there's no satisfying conclusion, nor is there like a, a ponderous, like, oh, I wonder what happens. No. It just felt <laughs> a little bit like, uh, okay, I'm just going to finish there. You know what I mean? Just kind yeah. of went,
1: oh, I'm just going to put it there. There was no climax to it. No, I do agree there with that. There was no big, sure big finish. The yeah. And
0: the the, 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 end of the film is, you know, it's the last thing you remember, you know, it's got to have some sort of punch to it to make you yeah. the film. I can't even remember how the film ends. Because nothing happens at the end, necessarily.
1: Yeah, it's just he has a meeting with David Lynch. But again, we don't see what happens to Michelle Williams' character. We, We don't see her go back and reunite with Benny. We don't see any... That's what I wanted to see. That was more interesting than Steven Spielberg's girlfriend. That, by the way... Didn't exist. His classmates came out and said he lied about that. He didn't have a girlfriend. Actually, uh, 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 uh,
0: according to Steven Spielberg, said apparently um, she went to another school, so you guys wouldn't know her.
1: <laughs> That's perfect. But yeah, that was not interesting. I wanted to know about Mitzi. I wanted this film to be about Mitzi Fableman, not Sammy Fableman, because her story was more interesting than his during this period of time like I just said it got interesting it ended and then his life got interesting like I know that sounds like a horrible thing to say but Stephen your life was not that interesting before you became a filmmaker I'm sorry but but regardless of that he is one of the greatest directors ever and his direction is impeccable as usual the way that I've, I've never really been able to describe why Spielberg is so good. I've just sort of felt it until I saw someone describe him as the way that he moves his actors and his camera. No one does it like that. And ever since I read that, every time I've watched one of his, one of his films, I've been very conscious of watching where the actors move around and where the camera moves. And it's just so impressive. And this film is as good as his direction has ever been.
0: Yeah, in answer to the previous question, but I'd I want to preface this by saying I haven't seen Munich, but I would like okay. to say that Steven Spielberg has made a lot of very good films, mm-hmm. and I'd all go as far as to say that that The Fabelmans is a very good film. I'd say that West Side Story is maybe slightly better than a good, very good film, but yeah. I think Steven Spielberg's last great film was probably Catch Me If You Can.
1: You know, I um, I'm looking at his entire filmography now. I think I would agree. I saw someone reply to that tweet and say, "Oh, I think The Fablemans was great, but before that you'd have to go all the way back to West Side Story." And it's like he has made two very good films recently. Um, but, but I before don't think that were great. Yeah, before that you've got a BFG, Indiana Jones 4, Tintin. Like, I mean there's
0: definitely when we reviewed West Side Story, I
1: definitely use the word great, but you know what I yeah. mean? I'm talking about great, you know, great, yeah. great. I don't, like I said, when, when we reviewed West Side Story in 50 years, when people think about West Side Story, I think they'll still talk about the original. They won't talk about the yeah. one from last year. Um, yeah. because it's not, it's not great in the same way. Um, but yeah, I think I'd agree going back. I haven't seen all of the films that he's made since Catch Me If You Can. Um, but Lincoln was pretty great actually but not it, not to the same level as, like, Catch Me If You Can. So, yeah, I'd say... Um, yeah,
0: it's like War Horse is very good, right?
1: Yeah, I haven't seen War Horse, actually.
0: You've not seen War
1: Horse? I haven't seen War Horse. Right. I saw the post. I loved the post. I love a good journalism drama, and the post was a great journalism drama, but it wasn't great in the sense that we're using the word great now. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's like you say, like, yeah. imagine, like, you might, you might have a great bacon sarnie tomorrow, but it probably isn't one of the greats.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Like, looking yeah. through, he's made a lot of films that are very good. Yeah, he yeah. He's made a lot of films that are very good, but there is only, like, it's a large handful, but it is still only a handful that are truly great, like Jaws, then, Raiders of the Lost yeah, Star, the Indiana Jones a, trilogy, Jurassic Park, and list, a Lace, like the relatively Purple, short e. amount
0: of time he made a lot.
1: Oh, yeah. He is still one like, of the greats. Like, yeah,
0: like late like seventy five to like ninety five. Like that yeah. twenty five twenty year period, like he really was just like popping oh, yeah. popularist spiel pussy. From like
1: yeah, I'd say I'd go far as to say up to two thousand and two whenever Catch Me If You Can came out, because Catch Me If you Can is excellent. Um yeah, no, War no, of the Worlds bad, is great as well. Kind of War of like... the Worlds is great as well though. War of the Worlds is really great. Um, it's it's, it's
0: alright. It's decent.
1: But yeah, I think like a lot of his the note, films you've got... have
0: gone. He used to make Spielberg-level films. Now he makes kind of Zemeckis-level films.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. He he hasn't made a Spielberg great since. Catch me if you can. Yeah.
0: The most recent Spielberg great was probably Jordan Peele's
1: Nope. Um, yeah, you might be right with that. You
0: said it, it, it wasn't right. like Spielberg, I think. I think it you... wasn't like
1: Spielberg in that sense, but you, I still think I... it I still think it was great, but I don't think it was like
0: I think it was Spielberg Okay, mm. um Anyway. Let's just let's, let's let's get our, <laughs> our ratings down and shit. We've been talking about let's. this for ages. Um <laughs> I'm gonna give this film I'm gonna give the Faberman's uh I'm gonna give this a seven.
1: I'm gonna give this a six and a half. Six and a half. Wow. Um, six felt too harsh. Come on, give it a six. I'll be bold. <laughs> okay, fuck it. Six. Five. Yes. Five. No. No, do six. That, no. Six. 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 Okay. Um,
0: Man of the match. I am gonna give it to um, David Lynch.
1: <laughs> I hope you're serious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part of partly does want to just say that. David Lynch. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I also want to say I think that the the young Sammy family at the start is really good as well yeah as yeah. someone that hates almost all child actors I think
1: that, um, <laughs> you, you he, do famously too bad
0: yeah well I can't give my I can't give it to Spielberg because I my, my main issues of the film revolve around direction Um, but uh, it's a tough one it really is I think I'm going to I think I'm, I'm going to give it to Gabrielle LaBelle.
1: Really? It's,
0: yeah, I think, I really did, I really did enjoy his performance. Uh, I didn't think he was, uh, you know, Oscar worthy or anything, but we talking about a new actor, a new young actor, big, a yeah. lot of responsibility, playing a lead in a Spielberg film. Uh, I think Played Spielberg. Very Played Spielberg, yeah. And he's younger than me. so. Um, wow. Yeah. So I'm going to give it to Gabrielle LaBelle.
1: Uh, I think I'm going to give Mine to Janice Kaminsky for the cinematography. I think it's a very pretty film to look at.
0: Yeah, I was inclined to. I was I was, I was feeling that, but then I thought, I've already gone for a cinematographer today. I probably shouldn't do another
1: one.
0: Yeah. Um, but I've already done another actor. I didn't feel bad about that. So it kind of the shows the the way in which the, the non-actors are, are disrespected in terms
1: of widespread film criticism, isn't it? Lewis? Yeah, it is. It's true. From you, certainly. I gave it to a cinematographer.
0: Yeah. I've also given it to as many cinematographers as you today.
1: That is true. But I gave it to a production designer last one. so...
0: Yeah, but if we went by, like, the amount of times, I've probably given it to more cinematographers than you. I've definitely given it to more cinematographers than you. I, I absolutely wank off cinematographers. You do, yeah. Let's just make this a cinematography podcast. Fuck it. Let's just not even talk about the acting. Yes.
1: Let's just talk about cinematography.
0: Babylon popped its fucking cinematography
1: so good man. <laughs> it did it did yeah this is the next week's episode is going to be about the dolly zoom
0: yeah that shot when um, when dio cow is in the cinema near the end and like it goes down oh, this camera, like, goes
1: down to the bottom row looks oh along, that was goes amazing up, goes top amazing mate oh it's so, good. it's so good the amount of long take i am a sucker for a long take the amount of long takes in this the long take from when Brad Pitt stands up and walks over to his wife and says, I'm just going upstairs. That long take. Oh, yeah. oh, and the way the camera lingers on the door that's slightly ajar so you can only see a little bit through. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful.
0: Yeah. What was your favourite moment of cinematography in Empire Light? Oscar and in Empire Light. Like. <laughs>
1: Can't believe empire of light got an oscar nomination for cinematography of bubble it seems like he's good right it's just, it um, is good
0: and a few times in the film i thought this is actually really good cinematography
1: yeah but you know if it, i don't think if it was if it wasn't roger deakins i don't think it would be nominated
0: for sure absolutely no chance
1: yeah it's solid. imagine
0: that would be so rogue if like this film came out exactly the same it was just some random don there's absolutely no chance they just randomly give it to Empire Light. We've got no Oscar nominations.
1: Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Bardo mm. also got an Oscar nomination for cinematography. Lone cinematography true. But nomination. that has
0: like aggressively good cinematography, right?
1: It does. It's very, very in-your-face cinematography as well. Yeah,
0: as does Babylon. Um,
1: yeah. But we will talk about but that next week. Let's stop babbling on. Hey, eh? <laughs> hey, that hey. was good. That was good. Hey. hey. That was great. Next
0: week, what are we supposed to be doing that we almost certainly won't be doing because we'll change because it's the National Podcast and we have no consistency? We will be doing it
1: because I desperately want to talk about it. Tar.
0: Yeah, that one is is the most certain. We're doing Tar,
1: k Hopefully, all quiet on the Western
0: Front. Lydia Tar. Yeah, um, no, we're not doing quiet on the Western Front, you fucking idiot. That's the next week. We're we're doing Tar, Banshees of Inner Sharing,
1: and uh, The Whale. Oh yeah, 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 you're right. Depending on how quickly you can watch them, we should be able to actually get it out next week.
0: Um, yeah. I've only seen. Have one you of seen those Tar? Films. No, I've not seen Tar. No.
1: You just need to watch Tar. Double bill Tar and the Whale tomorrow, and we'll we'll do it.
0: My brother in Christ, I have a job.
1: Slack <laughs> it off for a day.
0: No, I can't do it after this. I've got. I actually have got people in my co- in my job that listen to this podcast. So if Charlie is listening to this and he's like, "Right, I'm calling up the, the company and saying it sounds day <laughs> off," because Lewis said he wants to get if you go watch the whale. Um, Shout out, okay. Charlie! By the way, well, top down. Hi, Charlie. Um, okay. Um, I think that's pretty much everything. If you want, do you want to talk about um, Justin Roiland again, or should we just finish?
1: <laughs> oh, geez. Let's just let's just skip over. <laughs> oh geez.
0: <that>. Let's uh... <laughs> Right, so that wraps it up for this week. Um Thank you very much everyone for listening. Um, thank you. You can find us on Twitter at Now Showing Pod, and you can find us individually on Twitter at Sam H Media and Lewis JWR respectively. You can find us on Letterboxd at Sam Houston and which one's yours? is yours also Lewis JWR? Yeah, Lewis JWR on Letterboxd. LewisJWR. Um, yeah big thanks to everyone listening again we've had a really impressive few weeks from, from you lot so I'm really we're all very happy about you can have a few weeks off actually because you've been listening to our podcast so much recently you can have a few weeks off that's, that's from us you don't have to listen to these yeah. episodes we're happy for now. now um, <laughs> but if you really are desperate you should, uh, you should not only listen, but you should rate the podcast on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever you listen to your podcast on, Apple Playlist, whatever, Google Playlist. Give us a five star rating. Helps us go in the rankings. We really appreciate that. And, of course, tell your friends. Thank you very much for listening, guys. And uh, we'll see you next time. Goodbye.
1: Bye.